I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. We'll get there in a, in a few moments. So he was a short, bald-headed, bow-legged, with bulging eyes, a big nose, and a unibrow. I'm not speaking of anyone here in the church this morning. Stop looking around. I see y'all trying to peg who it is I'm describing. No one here, I promise. But I am paraphrasing a second century church writer who took it upon himself to try to describe the Apostle Paul. Though he did this about 100 years after Paul lived. But it is the closest thing we have to a description of Paul. To more properly translate what he said, it was this. A man of middling age, size, excuse me, and his hair was scanty, and his legs a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long. If any of you live a hundred years past me (laughs) and choose to write about me, come on, man. Be nice. Please. Help a brother out. Come on. That's painful just to read. And I don't even have a unibrow anymore. I imagine this description is speculative on the part of this church leader. By the way, he got fired because he wrote this and he had some uh, a little bit off, uh, unorthodox things that he said Paul believed in. So don't know how much we can take it for, to the bank. However, when you remember what Paul's critics said about him, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive. So maybe he did have that unibrow, and maybe he was bow-legged. Regardless of what he looked like, he was apprehended by the resurrected Jesus on a road to Damascus as he was assaulting and persecuting the followers of Jesus. Christ laid a hold of him. He apprehended him, and... His life was drastically changed, and so was the course of history. Let's look how it started in verse 1 of Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way, that was what they called the early church, men or women... He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The story of Saul makes it very clear to us that God loves to take his most lethal opponents and turn them into his most effective servants. That's good news for some of us. Based off our history, that's that's real good news for some of us. 
Saul, he started out as much more than your run-of-the-mill Jew. He was born, first of all, in Tarsus, uh, which was the epicenter of Greek culture uh, in Cilicia. But he was eventually uh, sent to Jerusalem, where he would study under the renowned rabbi Gamaliel. Gamaliel was someone that we heard about uh, in Acts 5, as a matter of fact, because he was one that quieted the Sanhedrin when they wanted to execute the apostles who had been preaching Christ in the temple courts. But he said to them, he said, look, if these men are preaching something and it's of human origin, let's not worry about it. It'll, it'll die down on its own. But if it's from God, we don't want to resist it. Gamaliel was the rabbi who was measured. Saul was the student who was not. He was certain, despite what his teacher may have said at the time, that these people were heretics, blasphemers, those that needed to be dealt with and dealt with speedily. His response to them was severe and violent, and it increased as he went on. So he set out to hunt down and exterminate any disciple of Jesus that he could put his hands on. That was his mission. Listen to how uh, he himself described his own story to King Agrippa when he gives testimony of that standing before him in Acts 26 verse 9. Saul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." This account that he gives to King Agrippa is really vivid, and it parallels what we're reading in Acts 9, but he gives one specific detail that is of great interest to me in the 26th chapter as he's telling the story to Agrippa, and it's something that I think we ought to consider. Acts 26, 14 is where he says, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And here's the extra point. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Have you ever goaded somebody? If you're an older brother, you probably have. Have you ever goaded someone? Have you ever uh, poked them to get a reaction from them? I, I have been known to go to a few people in my life. If you were in my youth group many years ago, that was probably one of my spiritual gifts, <laughs> was goading people. I used to call it harassment, but goading's a nicer word, I think. Uh, you know, I think goading could be my love language. I'm not sure, but I think it could be. I love to just poke a little, you know, push a little. See what kind of reaction you can get. Of course, I don't like it when you do it to me. 
With livestock, a goad is a prod. It's a it's a, a stick, a, a spiked stick that is used to drive an animal along, like an ox or a steer, cow, whatever. It's a prod. It's designed to get them to keep moving in the right direction. But if that animal doesn't like the goad, then he can start kicking against it. But here's the problem. It doesn't hurt the stick, but it sure hurts the one kicking, Jesus said to Saul, <clears throat> it's hard for you. Your life's hard. <laughs> it's hard for you kicking against the goads. But would God use a goad to get our attention today? Would, would he move us towards his purpose by poking at us? pressing us, pricking us? Would he, would he provoke us? I think he might. When God prods and pokes and pushes us, we oftentimes do the same thing Saul did. We kick back. We push back. We double down. We rebuke it in the name of Jesus. That can't be the Lord. That's, that has to be the enemy. I know his work here. That's making me very uncomfortable right now. And I know the Lord doesn't want me to be uncomfortable. In the name of Jesus. <clears throat> we also quote Isaiah when he says, a bruised reed he will not break. Here's the problem. The bruising is oftentimes self-inflicted. We're the ones kicking so hard, it hurts. What were the goads that Saul was kicking against? What was it that <laughs> was needling him, poking at him, that he is kicking back on? Well, I think some of them were his unresolved questions regarding Jesus and the disciples. You know, how they lived beyond themselves. How they seemed to have a vision of faith that was, that was otherworldly. And then how they died as if there was something to look forward to. This had to gnaw at Saul. Gnaw at Saul. <laughs> Not gnaw at Saul. <laughs> did you see what I did there? <laughs> Let's just laugh about it because you're going to goad me about it later if I don't. <laughs> this had to gnaw at him. It stuck in his craw. There's another <laughs> rhyme. It's, it gnawed, it saw it in, in his craw. Never mind. It got to him. What is going? The more they did it, the more faith they seemed to exemplify the matter he got. This guy, Stephen, who does he think he is? He deserved what he got. I mean, I know that he had such wisdom that we could not withstand it. I know that his face, it, it was shining like an angel. I know that he forgave all of those who were stoning him while they were doing it. <sighs> but all of this had to be gnawing at him in such a way 
that all he could do was kick back, push back, press on, double down, do what was right. Some of us have questions in our lives. We have circumstances that we face. And we haven't realized that God is using those things to prod us. We think that it's the enemy. We think it's circumstantial. But it could very well be God getting your attention. Maybe you have unanswered questions in your journey. Maybe you're here today and you haven't committed your life to Christ. And so all these questions keep coming up. Like, what about suffering, God? Why do good people suffer bad things? What about life itself? Why do we have such struggles? What, maybe it's a question about God and his existence to start with. Or maybe you've seen a friend's joy that is unexplainable. They've suffered. They've had hardship. And yet, I count it all joy. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how they have that. And I know I don't. Maybe you've thought others have it easier than you do. You felt sorry for yourself because your life choices, I mean circumstances, <laughs> have inflicted more pain on you than on other people. Well, they have it easy. You know, they grew up in the church. They had a good family. I deserve to be a victim here. And so my circumstances now help me feel justified in my bad attitude, but you haven't realized that God is using such things to get your attention and to draw you to himself. C.S. Lewis was an atheist literature teacher in Oxford, England. But he converted to Christianity. He met Jesus in a very intellectual and yet profound way. And Lewis wrote of his own meeting Jesus, his conversion, his encounter with the resurrected Christ. He said this, the prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet, but who can duly adore that Lord which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape. Do you ever feel like that? Are you kicking against the goads? Are you kicking against the goads that are prodding you to follow Jesus? But maybe for the vast majority of us sitting here today, are you kicking against the goads that are prodding you to grow up in Jesus? Because the same thing he used to get you to convert can be the same thing he uses to get you to grow up. Look how Saul reacts. Verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? And when he says Lord, he's not saying like I say Lord Jesus. It's like sir. Who are you, sir? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The hunter has become the hunted. While Saul is busy apprehending Christians, he didn't realize that Jesus is busy apprehending him. He had been proud of his persecution of this group they called the way. But now, (laughs) he is bowed down low before the resurrected Jesus, who makes it very clear that when you mess with his disciples, you mess with him. This man, Saul, who was named after the first mighty king of Israel, King Saul, would very soon start using his other name, Paulus, or as we call Paul, which means small or humble. It's interesting that those traveling with Saul hear the voice, but they don't see a thing, which is common for people who have a personal encounter with the risen Lord. You're stopped cold in your tracks, and your heart explodes within you. Listening to Kevin's story this morning reminded me of that kind of encounter with God. And and it changes you, and you're captured by him. But the people around you, they oftentimes don't see it. They heard the same sermon. They read the same books. They saw the same sunset. They witnessed the same miracle. But still, they don't see. And it just sounds like a lot of noise to them. Look what happens next in verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I'm glad we got a new Ananias in the book of Acts. That last Ananias we heard about was not so great. You know, it's like, it's good to redeem a name. I'm glad Ananias, this guy, comes after the other Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "Uh, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer For the sake of my name. There's so much here. That last line. 
how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This wasn't punitive. He did so much harm, so now he must pay the penance. That's not what it is. He did harm. He voted for Stephen's death. He must suffer. No. The truth is, is that we're all called to suffer for the sake of his name. We're not only called to understand the power of his resurrection, but also to fellowship with him in his sufferings. There is so much packed up in these verses, I wished I could take them all and expand them. But let's just take the obvious. Ananias is a little bit hesitant to do this. It, word's gotten around. And it didn't take the media for it to come to him. He knows about this guy named Saul, Saul from Tarsus. He's heard. And he's like, uh, uh, Lord, uh, I've heard about this guy. He's bad news. He's not a good dude. Are you sure you got the right guy, Lord? Are you sure? And God just looks at Ananias, well, just speaks to Ananias. And he says, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, go pray for him. He is my chosen vessel. He is the instrument that I choose because I delight taking my most ardent opponents and turning them into my most glorious servants. Go, I'm gonna show him, you're gonna pray for him. He's gonna receive his sight and what he's gonna see is that there's suffering he must incur for the sake of my name. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house just as the instructions were given to him. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. He didn't say butcher Saul. He didn't say vicious enemy Saul. He didn't say executioner, Saul, but brother. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. <laughs> what a story. Saul's story helps us see that Christ is always the initiator. He is always the one in pursuit of us. He makes the first move. He still seeks sinners. He still hunts the hunters. While we may think it's us responding to him, in actuality, I said that wrong. While we may think that it is him responding to us, it's actually us responding to him because he always makes the first move. It also tells us this story of Saul. That he uses things that pokes us, prods us, 
pushes us. He uses things like that to get our attention and they're designed to bring us closer to him and they're designed to bring us further into his purpose. But to kick against it, we're only hurting ourselves. Finally, Paul's story that we read here in Acts 9 and as he conveys in other places in scripture like we read in Acts 26, his story reveals that our past does not disqualify us from God's grace or from God's purpose. This is good news. It's the good news if you have blood in your hands or if you just had murder in your heart. It's good news for everyone who has fallen short of the glory of God. And scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short. God took one of his greatest enemies, someone who had blood on his hands, and put him before kings and Gentiles and even his own people with the gospel of salvation in his mouth. What good news. What are you hunting down that's really been a story of Jesus hunting down you? Your story may not be the way you thought it was because God's at work doing something that maybe you weren't even aware of. How has God been prodding you that maybe you've been kicking against? Maybe you've been fighting back, doubling down, rebuking in the name of Jesus when what he wants you to do is say, Who is it, Lord? Who are you, Lord? What is in your life that you think disqualifies you from his grace and from his purpose? I declare to you this day, it is time for the scales to fall from your eyes. It is time to receive prayer that you would receive your sight and that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit that you might apprehend that for which you have been apprehended. May the Lord open our ears to hear his voice and open our eyes to see his face and propel us in action to obey his will. We hear you, Lord. We hear you, Lord. Help us respond. For you have apprehended us. You are apprehending us. May we truly trust you with our lives. Amen. My sweetie wife is going to come. And we're going to let her share what is in her heart because it's always such an encouragement. And then we're going to pray for you. I'd like to have the worship team come forward. In 2 Corinthians 4 from the message, it says, Since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing. Um, 
Kevin's word was accosted. Chris's word was apprehended. I think in my own life, I've used the word interjected when God just penetrates you, what you're doing, and says, hello. (laughs) But God has generously let us in on what he is doing. And so our message is not about us. We are proclaiming the master. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives were filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Jesus. If you only look at us, you might miss the brightness. We carry this message around in unadored clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. (laughs) As it is, there's not much chance of that. You know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles but we are not demoralized. We haven't lost our compass. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been in spiritual war, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we have not been broken. The reality of our lives lived for Jesus' sake makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. Every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. Even though on the outside it can look like things are falling apart, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now live forever. Praise God. Demonstrating more and more grace to more and more people for more and more praise to our Father. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in our details. Last week, Chris talked about his driver's license, and he said, what does yours say, not the physical one, the spiritual one, And is it true about you anymore? And then today we hear in this story of Saul turned Paul that regardless of what road you think you're on, be ready for God to apprehend you because he wants to make our spiritual driver's license true all the time about us. Not that it should age or that we should grow stagnant but that we keep letting him interject our lives, even if he has to use goads. (laughs) Yes. We're going to pray. There are going to be leaders here at the front, different elders and um, leaders in our church, couples that will come and be here to to pray with you. Um, Let them be an Ananias for you today. Let them pray for you believing that God will let the scales fall from your eyes. Maybe it's coming to him for the very first time and saying, I want to follow you. I hear about you. I've been pressed by you. You've interrupted me and I'm yours.
But maybe it's also for things that you've just been blind to, that you've not grown up in. And the Lord wants those scales to fall also. He uses goads for those things too. But he's after you in the process. So as we're singing, people will be here to pray with you. We're going to pray. And then Nate's going to lead us in a song. Go ahead. Father, thank you that we are utterly dependent on you to see things as they are, to believe you for what we can't see, to engage the work that you have created us to do and called us to do and equipped us to do. Yes, Lord. It all comes from you and goes back to you. And without you in the middle of it, none of it is possible. That's right. So, Father, thank you for invading our lives for saving and keeping and transforming and redeeming and correcting and directing and all of those things you do out of love for us. Father, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to see your truth in the person of Jesus. And then with that light and conviction, May we obey. May we follow you into what you're doing. May we receive the prayer from Ananias Mm -hmm. so that we can then be equipped to rise and follow you. Yes, Lord. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. In us is your followers is in us that may be coming to you and have not and brought into your family as of yet. In our families, with our children, in our young people, in this church community that we might be like Stephen. That our faces would shine like angels, not because we're angelic, but because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, have your way to we today with us, I pray. Let's stand together.